from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lie. Living, loving, laughing. We're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really ain't no crime. Living, loving, all right oh what a hot intro that song is so good and um but it is just dusty slay here i am alone today i am alone in a uh Comedy condo in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I am here this weekend uh, working the comedy catch. I'm excited to be back. Um, I got a lot of stuff to go to talk about here. I'm going to talk about uh, joke writing today. Uh, I've had people email me. And if you want to email me, it's dustyslaycomedy at gmail.com. I have a lot to talk about. I have several people that emailed me. I'm going to read their emails. I'm not going to say their names. I wouldn't do that to people, but I am going to read their emails aloud and uh, try my best to answer the questions and try to give you help on how to write jokes. If you're new at comedy and you're you're uh, you know you're struggling to write jokes, or if you're you know having success writing jokes, but you you're just having trouble getting to the next level. I'm just hoping to answer your questions to the best of my ability, but also, um, you know, also just kind of talk about it. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, there is no answer to the question, but sometimes just hearing uh, what someone else has been through, their experiences can be enough. It can be enough to go, okay, well, this makes sense. Because joke writing is not easy, and there is no shortcut to joke writing, and there is no necessarily correct path for anyone. People write jokes in different ways, and people have success in different ways. So, but what I'm going to do is try to share my experiences and then try to answer each thing as they come. Um, You know, my joke writing process has changed along the way. But first, how about a little bit of where we've been, where we're going? Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. All right, where we've been, where we're going. That's right. By the way, that's from Forrest Gump, that track. And I met Tom Hanks not too long ago. I was at... Um, uh, I was doing comedy at the Grand Old Opry at the Ryman, and Tom Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson, was singing some songs. This is the second time I've worked with her. I did a, a, a different thing earlier last year, and she was there, and I introduced her on stage. But this time, she was at the Ryman, and Tom Hanks was there. So I did my joke about where I take off my hat, put my hat back on, and then I go, a lot of people tell me I look like Forrest Gump after he ran for a long time. Of course, Tom Hanks didn't watch. So I went up to him, and I I got close to him, not in a creepy way. At least I felt like it wasn't creepy, but I didn't want to, like, fan out. Like, I do like Tom Hanks. I've enjoyed a lot of his movies, but I also don't really care that much 
I just wanted to tell him. I was like, hey, I wrote a, I have this joke where I say I look like Floyd. But I walked up to him and I'm like trying to just talk to him and he goes, hey, Tom. And he introduces himself and I'm like, all right, that's fine that you want to introduce yourself to me. But of course I know who you are. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, anyway. So I um, said, told him that joke. I said, you know, a lot of people tell me I look like Forrest Gump after I ran for a long time. And he laughed a little bit. And I was hoping he would stay and watch the joke, but he didn't. My hope was that I would say the joke and then he would walk out on stage and then it would be a huge applause and then somebody would videotape it and then they'd put it on the internet and then it would go viral. And then I would be selling out clubs because people would be like, that's that guy that looks like Forrest Gump after he ran for a long time. And uh, But of course... A viral video is not going to be my path to success, okay? I am, I am building a path uh, from the ground up, which is what makes me uniquely uh, uh, equipped to help people with this process because, you know, there's been no shortcuts for me. I've been just out here grinding it, and I have had tons of success, and I feel very good uh, about where I'm at. So anyway, I'm I'm wander I'm I'm rambling. Where we've been, where we're going. Last week, let's you know what? Let's start with where I'm going. I'm currently in Chattanooga. By the time this comes out, I will have already done one show. I did one show last night. I got another tonight. Today it's Thursday as I'm recording this. Provided that the Wi-Fi works well, I'll have this up and running tonight. And then I'll have two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, one show on Sunday. Still left in Chattanooga. Get yourself some tickets. Come to the show. It's a fun time. I'm happy to be back. I didn't come here at all in 2019, and uh, I'm happy to be back. Uh, the comedy condo has been renovated. Uh, it it feels good in here. Uh, the, the city looks great. I haven't been to Chattanooga in over a year. It looks good here. Businesses keep coming. It's popping. Last night at the show, it was rented out by a, an asphalt company, and... It was just full of dudes, just a bunch of grown men out in the audience, and I've never really done a show for all men. Uh, there were a couple of women out there, but it was mainly all men, And uh, but it went well. It was, a, it was a hot set. So where I've been last week, I flew out to Sunnyvale, California to do Rooster Tea Feathers. Now, I do have some things to say. But I do want to say before I get into it, in the end, I had a really fun time at Rooster Tea Feathers. I had a really fun time in Sunnyvale. Um, I liked the club. The staff was great to me. I would gladly go back anytime. Uh, the audiences were uh, pretty fun. We had some good shows. We had some some shows that weren't as fun, but nothing bad. That being said, I want to talk about my travel day to Sunnyvale. And it's going to look like I'm being real negative on the club. I'm not being negative on the club. My understanding is that the owner of the club, uh, she does a lot. She really runs the club and runs the club well. And she had a, a, a loss in the family. And so she had to tend to that. So I think the rest of the staff was a little lost uh, on some things because she normally runs everything. So it's all totally understandable. But The day that I had uh, was pretty stressful. So I flew. I left my house about 5 a.m. in Nashville, and I flew to uh, Los Angeles. 
And that's about a four-hour flight. And then I had to sit in the airport in LAX for four hours. I had a layover, a pretty substantial layover. And then I flew to another hour to San Jose. So just, I get, I always get to the airport about two hours early. I, I, I'm on it with that because I never want to miss a flight. So two hours I've been at the airport. Another four to LA. We're at six hours. Another four in LAX. We're at 10 hours. Another hour and a half flight to San Jose. We're at 11 and a half hours of flying and airport time. Then it's another 20-minute Uber ride to uh, the club to in Sunnyvale, California. Now, uh, you know, in the last year and a half or so, I've gotten, you know, management. My management company is great, uh, Levity Live. They're really great. And they, every week, they send me this nice uh, advance is what they call it. But it's a, you know, basically of an emailed sheet of paper. I don't know what you would call that, a Word document. And in it is all the information for the weekend. It's my hotel. It's who's going to pick me up. It's when my plane lands, when my plane leaves. It's all the people that I need to contact, everything. They send that to me like clockwork. And it's amazing because even this weekend in Chattanooga, I have one of those. Even though I've been to this club and I've been working this club before I had management, so or at least my current management, so I know everything. But yet I still have the sheet. Now, when I left for Rooster Tea Feathers, I didn't have it. But I thought, you know what? It will be there because it always is. And then I land in L.A. It's still not there. So I go ahead and message them. And they say, well, we're having a little trouble getting some of the information, but we should have it to you soon. So I land in San Jose, and they're like, we still don't have any information. So I'm like, okay. I said, you know, this is what I'll do. I'll go ahead and just Uber to the club. And then when I get to the club, I'll talk to somebody inside. They'll tell me what hotel to go to. I'll Uber to the hotel. No big deal. So I Uber 20 minutes from San Jose to Sunnyvale. I pull up to Rooster Tea Feathers. Now, my Uber driver, he didn't eat. No, he's an older man, and he uh, didn't have the strongest English. And uh, that's fine because I also understand when, when people don't speak English that well, it can be difficult to communicate with me. Because, you know, of the accent and, and just uh, some words that I use, I don't think makes sense to people. So the club, I was like, he's like, are you going into this area? And I was like, honestly, I don't know. I've never been here before. And then I look around and I see the club and I go, oh, yeah, I'm going to that comedy club. Now, the comedy club's right next to a like a, a mechanic shop. And he was like, are you going to the, and I had my Napa Auto Parts hat on. He's like, you going to that, that shop? And I was like, no, no, I'm going to the club. And he's like, does your brother own that shop? And I was like, well, I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know why I can't be the owner of that club, that place. But no, I'm going to the club. And he could not get it. So I just said, you know what? I'll just get out right here. So I got out and I walked to Rooster Tea Feathers and no one's there. So I, so I look up the number for the club. I call, I think maybe someone's inside. Nobody answers. So, and my management has also been trying to contact them. So nobody's coming up with anything. So I stand out there for about 10 minutes with all my luggage after, you know, 12 hours of travel. And I uh, just decide, I said, you know what, I know that they have me a hotel. So I'm just going to try my luck. I'm going to start calling hotels and just see who has my reservation. So I pull up Google Maps, I say hotels near me. And I look up all the hotels in the area. And I, I um, 
just start calling them. And I go, hey, this may sound weird, but I, I think I have a reservation at your hotel. Can you look up and tell me? And people did not know what to do with information like that. They were so confused at somebody like me calling and going, hey, I'm not sure if I have a reservation there or not. Can you look it up? Uh, they were so confused. But eventually, I called about four of them. And then I got a guy, and the guy said, oh, you're at Rooster Tea Feathers? He's like, I think all the comics are at the Wild Palm Hotel for Rooster Tea Feathers. I was like, that's great information. So I called the Wild Palms. They said, yes, we do have your reservation here. So I was like, great. So I got in my car. I Ubered over there and checked in to the Wild Palms, which is a very nice place. Uh, Well, it was like, I guess in California – uh, this is what I'm being told. A lot of the hotels will be have the doors on the outside like they're – this was a Hyatt uh, property, so it was nice inside. But it was like a renovated Motel 6 basically. So the doors were on the outside, but it was it was really nice. It was fixed up. They had a lot of succulent plants outside and coffee and breakfast and they had a pool and a hot tub. All great. Um, but then I'm I'm at the hotel and I'm still not hearing from the club. Right, so we're getting pretty close to showtime. Nobody has any information from the club. So I I just go, you know what? I'm going to Uber down there and I'm just going to see what's happening. So I Uber down there, I get out, the doors open, they're seating people. There's a there's a girl at the at the front. Now, she ended up being my friend. She was very nice. But I walk in and she goes, "Hey, nice to meet you." And I go, I was like, "Hey, I've been I've been trying to get in contact with you guys for a long time. I didn't have my hotel information or anything like that, and I couldn't get in touch with anyone. And she goes, yeah, I lost my phone. Sorry about that. <laughs> and then and then that was just done. And she was like, well, I was like, well, where's the green room? So the, the door guy takes me over there. He was very nice. And I meet the other two comics, and uh, immediately they, they come up to me, and I just start – I just let it out on them. There's no green room. There was just an area. And I just go, I just start telling them about my day and they have very little reaction. They're like, oh man, that does suck. And then I just keep trying to tell people what's happening to me because I just wanted some acknowledgement. I wanted someone to go, wow, that was terrible. I'm sorry that happened to you. And I just kept telling people and no one was listening. And then I went up on stage. Uh, I had a good set. It was very fun. And then I come off and then the bartender at the place, uh, her name's Carrie, I believe, Carrie came up to me and just really gave me the acknowledgement that I was looking for. She goes, I just want you to know that we really care about our comics here. I can't believe this has happened to you. It's definitely a fluke. This is not how it normally goes. And we're very sorry. And that's all I needed. And then the rest of the weekend was very fun. The management was great. The staff was great. I really enjoyed them. I liked the comics that I was working with. And it was just good. In the end, it was good, but uh, the next day, uh, on Monday, I flew back to L.A. where I did something for Net- Netflix, which will be – I recorded audio. Uh, Netflix Net- Netflix is a joke on Sirius XM, so that will be airing on Friday. I'm not sure what, what time. I only did a seven-minute set, and they're only going to use some jokes, so who knows what they'll use. We were in a little glass box telling jokes to people, and that's not my favorite way to do comedy, especially in an industry-heavy environment. 
you know, because there's, you know, there was people, you know, prominent people sitting around and I got seven minutes to show how good I am. And also I'm trying to do jokes that I don't already have recorded somewhere. So I'm like, oh, well, I want, you know, so I don't know. I, f- I feel good about it. It was a good set. I mean, I'm hard on myself, but it was a good set. And then on Tuesday, I flew home and I love to be a visitor of California. I love visiting places, but man, I like getting home to the South. Um, I got in Tennessee and it was great. I spent the night with my wife and, you know, we went to the mall. I bought a new pocket knife because in Dayton, they took my pocket knife at the at the uh, Air Force Museum. I tried to hide it under a park bench and a military guy came out there and got it. So I bought me a new pocket knife at the Bass Pro Shop. Hannah got some boots and uh, we just hung out. We had a good time. And then the next day I got up and drove down to Chattanooga. So that's where I'm at now. And what a journey it's been. But uh, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, I and I do want to make it clear that I'm not at all trashing the club. But if I'm not talking about the, the life that I'm living and the experiences that I'm having, then what am I doing? And uh, my life right now is doing comedy. I mean, that's all I do. I'm home for a little bit. I got a pear tree that's growing. And, uh, and that's, you know, and that's it. I'm a husband and a comedian. Um, but my, my grandfather built a house in 1947 and that's the house my dad lives in. And my grandfather planted some fruit trees on the property and, my dad bulldozed a lot of the apple trees. I don't understand why he did that. I mean, he has his reasons. I'm bummed about it because those were great old school organic apples, and he bulldozed them. But the pear tree is still there. Now, it's a raggedy looking pear tree. I mean, that thing, every year we think that thing's going to be dead. But it produces an unbelievable amount of pears every year. It's just, it just blows my mind how many pears are on it. So I took some of those pears this year. And I normally, if I eat an apple or a pear, I just eat the whole thing. I eat straight through the core. I eat all the seeds. I don't care. I, I, I think the core is some weird thing that we've created in these these fruits. Just eat through it. If you eat through it and don't even think about the core being there, it, you won't even notice it. Um, but I took some seeds out of the pear and I planted them. And one of them is growing. And I'm very excited about it. So that's happening. And I'm in Chattanooga. So here we go. Now what I'm going to do, thank you for, for that, letting me vent that out. And um, and then, yeah, so uh, I'm rambling a bit again. It's I, I find it difficult to do a podcast alone because when I have a guest on, what's happening is I'm having a conversation with that guest and then people listening to the podcast are listening to our conversation. When it's just me, then I'm sitting in a room, I have headphones on, I'm alone, and I'm just looking at things while trying to maintain a conversation, and that is hyper-focus. And I don't always have the best focus because I've spent so much time in a hotel room looking at my phone going, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, oh, let me check my emails. You know, I'm all over the place with it. So let's get to the emails I have these buttons now and I got to push one all right so here it is these this what I've asked people to do I put out a post saying uh, basically 
I want, uh, basically my post said, I need something to talk about on my podcast. Ask me questions so I can talk about them. That's not what it said, but that's the underlining meaning. I mean, I got to have things to talk about. So while a lot of people have thanked me for being helpful, and I appreciate the thanks, um, it's not all selfless. I don't want to think it's all. I need content, and um, I want to help people. I do want to help people. I mean, people, so many people I've tried to help throughout my time in comedy where I'll meet with them one-on-one. We sit down. We write jokes. I can think of several people specifically that I've sat down and wrote jokes with. We wrote these, we wrote really good jokes. They go perform them. Now, what I like to do, I don't want to write fresh jokes for someone. That's because if I'm writing a fresh joke, that fresh joke is going to be for me. Um, But I'll sit down with someone and I'll take jokes that they already have and just try to help them shape them differently. Now, this is not some, you know, magic ability that I have. This is something that I've developed over time. And this was a service that I also needed at one time. And and I still need it some. I mean, I was hanging with my friend Chris Buck, who's featuring for me this weekend in Chattanooga, and we were talking about one of the jokes that I was trying to make work. He gave me an idea, and I've been running with that idea off this joke. So uh, joke writing can be a collaborative process, and I think that is the type of thing that people really need to understand is that you know, you don't have to do it alone. People say, do you write all your own jokes? Yes, absolutely, I write all my own jokes. But there's been jokes all along the way that, I, that I'll call up a friend or I'll sit down with a friend and I go, I go, hey, man, I got, this, I got this joke and I know this joke is funny. The idea is funny to me because I've heard it said, if a joke is funny to you but it's not funny to the audience, then you just haven't figured out how to write it yet. So that's what I'll say to my friend. I say, I just haven't figured out how to make this funny to the audience yet. So I'll sit down with this friend and we'll go. And this, you know, this friend may not be a better comedian than me, may not be a better joke writer than me, but they have an insight and they can see it from a different perspective. And they'll go, what if you tried it like this? And then I go, wow, I love that. That's amazing. Um, And, you know, on some of the TV shows that I've done recently, you know, it's like they'll send you a bunch of topics and, you know, and I'll I'll write a bunch of jokes. And then also a writer will come in and the writer will have written jokes, too. And that's been a really fun process for me because they come in with joke ideas. I have joke ideas and we kind of collaborate in the room. And I really enjoy that. I mean, I, I think the ultimate goal, at least for me, the ultimate goal is to be funny. So. If it's not 100% my writing that goes into a joke, that doesn't bother me because it was my idea and I just needed some help to get it there. Now, I don't always need this help, but once in a while, I'm just like, oh, man, I, I, I really want this joke to work, but I can't seem to just get it there. So that's what I do with these people. I've sat down with people before. I took their jokes and I go, all right, if you just eliminated this part of the joke and then just said this, or if you just said it this way, and then they'll take that joke and they'll go on stage with it and they'll do the joke the way we worked on. And it'll work better than I've ever seen their joke work before. It will get them a huge laugh and they'll feel so excited. I can see the smile on their face that says, man, that joke I've been working on for a long time is now working. 
And it's like this magical thing where we all feel good and there's rainbows and flowers and happiness and confetti. And then the next time I see them, they're doing the joke the exact same way that they used to do it before. And it's now not working anymore. And I don't know what happens, but I'm pretty tired of that. So I can do it this way. I can help in a way. And then I don't, people don't disappoint me by not accepting my joke ideas. And that also being said, you don't have to listen to anything I'm saying. I appreciate the fact that you're even listening to this podcast right now, but you don't have to listen to my ideas. I'm not trying to be the wise, wise comedian, be like, please come to me and let me help you with your jokes. No, like I say, I need, I want stuff to talk about. And when I can have a guest in the room, it's great. I really enjoy it. But when I can't, I like to have some subject matter that I could talk about. There's a million things happening that I could ramble on about, but I would much rather have a productive podcast where people have questions that they really want answered and I'd be able to answer them. Uh, also, I'm I'm so much closer to doing the live podcast that I've wanted to do than I've ever been. I'm so close right now. I have all the equipment. I just got to figure out how to make it all work together, but Man, what a great time that's going to be. Okay, so I'm going to start with the first email that I got. Now, I'm going to start, I'm starting with this one because this, this one is, I think, someone who has not really listened to the podcast before, so this will be an easy one. It says, so I want to know how to get started, how and where to begin. As what do you think about blogs and or YouTube? I really like how you start your stand-up. Uh, did you develop that over time or after that as I feel that's the most difficult? Wow, either I can't read or that's worded weird. Oh, and if you've this is your first time tuning in, uh, I can't read. Okay. So I want to know how you get started and how to where to begin. All right, this is what I'll tell you. The podcast that you're listening to, we're on season two right now. Just go to episode one. Episode one of season two is how to get started in comedy. Listen to one through 10. That's my whole journey. That's what I've done. And that's going to help you the most. And I did that just so that I wouldn't have to explain that anymore. And I genuinely want people to get that help because I think that it's better for everyone if people are better than comedy. You know, if, if everybody gets better, then we all get better, right? Uh, as what do you think about blogs or YouTube? Uh, I say do it. I mean, I think it's fun. I like to do a video vlog myself uh, where I document my travels and I put those on YouTube. I really like how you start your stand-up. Did you develop that over time and or alter that as I feel that's the most difficult? Uh, my stand-up most certainly developed over time. I didn't make a conscious effort to I didn't make a conscious decision to alter it, but it changed over time. All right, so that's the first email. All right, this is the next one. I hear this question a lot. People are always talking about this. This was always a question of mine. How do I find my voice? I have written jokes that I think are funny, and the audience does as well. But I have noticed I am all over the place when it comes to finding my voice and sticking with it. If I sent you three videos of some of my better sets, you will see that none of them are the same person, but they all did very well. Not really sure what to do. I do know that I don't want to be a cookie-cutter comic 
that someone can say, oh, yeah, you remind me of blank. Um, I think this is a great question. I think that I think that if you're your original self, if you are who you are as a person, then you're not going to be a cookie cutter comic, right? You're not going to be like anyone else. Like a lot of times people will tell me that I'm like Mitch Hedberg or, or like this and, uh, you know, or, or, you know, I get, I just, you know, I get random things like that sometimes and, I don't mind that because, well, I think Mitch Hedberg's incredible, and I, I love any comparison to him. But I also don't feel like that I'm really like Mitch Hedberg. When I started doing comedy, I was heavily influenced by his album, uh, The uh, Strategic Grill Locations, with the bass in the background. Really great album. I used to laugh. I listened to it a million times. I used to laugh out loud every time. And uh, so I was heavily influenced by that. But just I think the best way to find your voice is to a not even think about finding your voice. Like someone said that somewhere on a podcast one time and I think everybody from then on was like how do I find my voice? I think that just doing stand up over and over again and trying to write about yourself as opposed to writing about just observational things. Now, obviously, have some observational things. Do a little bit of everything, but really focus on trying to write about yourself, who you are, where you came from. Uh, That's going to help you find your voice. You know, I I like to talk about the kind of jobs that I've had and, and the way that I grew up, and that helps me find who I am as a comic. I think sometimes I am more authentic on stage than I am in real life. I feel like my true self really comes out on stage. And uh, and I, I just think that, you know, I don't think that we're defined by our race, our gender, our sexuality. Uh, or any, that, doesn't, that doesn't make us who we are, you know. Like some people will go, I've heard people say, well, I can't, I can't really stick out because, you know, I'm just a – I'm just a regular white dude, you know, and it's like, I get what you're saying, but also you're not just a regular white dude, you you know, and you're you're not just a regular black dude. You're not just a a, a regular gay dude. Like you're, you're your own person. You're unique in so many different ways. Now, whatever your race, your gender, your sexuality, obviously that uh, plays a role in who you are as a person. So, Please, by all means, make jokes about those things, but that doesn't have to be your entire identity. And the more stage time you get, the more uh, that you're just going to come alive with who you are. I mean, it's just like a lot of people I know, they say they hate open mics. And that's it's so bizarre to me because at this point, I don't really like open mics. But when I was coming up as a comedian, I loved open mics. I love sitting in the room. I love watching the other comics. I love having comedian friends. I like texting other comics in the room about comics on stage. I don't trash them, but I love to make fun of somebody on stage. And I just think that's all part of it. I loved hosting open mics. When I hosted an open mic in Charleston, I got to know every single comic and all their material because I sat right by the stage. I watched all their jokes, and I knew them very well. And just over time, just doing comedy. I mean, when you're traveling to places for no money, uh, doing rooms where you're not doing that well in, you really find out who you are as a person. You find out you, – you find confidence in that. Now, <clears throat> the better your jokes get – the more that kind of stuff will come alive. And so I just think that 
you know, you just have to really, the weird thing about comedy is that you almost just have to live comedy to, you know, it, it just becomes such a part of you. And I think a lot of people understand that, that it's like, it's not a conscious decision. I didn't decide one day, I didn't go, you know what, I'm going to devote my life to comedy. But once you get in it, you're like, oh, I just want to be better. I want to be better all the time. So you keep trying to get better all the time. And in that trying to get better, you 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 find yourself like, oh man, I've worked so hard at becoming better at this that now I'm I'm just in there. You know, like... Last weekend, I did six shows. I did six hours of comedy in a weekend. This weekend, I'm going to do seven hours of comedy. And it's like, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you get that much stage time and you get better so much faster, but only if you're always writing jokes. You, you, you don't get better by necessarily just repeating all the same jokes over again. But believe me, there's some jokes I've been repeating for a long time. Okay, here's another email. This is similar. Uh, oh, maybe this one's not similar. It doesn't matter. I am not a comedian, but I do have some questions about comedy. Not trying to get too analytical, but comedy isn't just about telling funny jokes or stories. It, it is about delivery or style. Think of the way Seinfeld tells stories. The voice, the inflection, nuances, pausing at the right time, delivery, confidence, etc., If I were to get up there on the mic and say word for word his story, it probably wouldn't get many laughs. Do you know what I'm saying, Dusty? How do do you find your voice and all the things that I mentioned above? Did your style change at all from when you first started out? Um, I think that this person is right about this. Uh, He's right about it up until the part where he says, if I did a Seinfeld story word for word, it probably wouldn't get many laughs. Uh, I disagree with that statement because if you have good delivery and you memorize the joke, Seinfeld is also a great writer, so that joke will get a lot of laughs provided that the audience doesn't know that you ripped it off from him. Um, But again, um, I think a lot of this stuff is natural. I think a lot of the delivery and – pauses and nuances i think a lot of that is is natural to people some people are natural storytellers some people are natural joke tellers i mean before i ever did comedy i always tried to be funny i was my entire life i was trying to be funny and when i used to drink one of my favorite things was to just sit around with a group of people and just tell street jokes i mean i just loved you know street jokes or a joke joke whatever whatever people want to call it i loved it and in that you you learn to tell jokes Uh, And my style most certainly changed from when I first started out. I mean, I went from very deadpan. I mean, I was very Mitch Hedberg influenced. I mean, I loved Mitch Hedberg. I wanted to do one-liners and I wanted to be weird. And I also loved Ron White. So I wanted, Ron White to me is, uh, at least some of his early stuff, is very one-liner-ish. Even though he does have stories, it's it's in a very one-liner type thing. And I, um, yeah, my style most certainly changed. Uh, but you're right about all those things. Uh, but, you know, you just got to work on it. You got to practice. If your delivery is not where, I think the, the biggest thing that separates people is uh, self-awareness. I think some people think they bomb every time they go up, even when they don't. And some people think they crush every time, even though they don't. I'm a little hard on myself but I also know how well I can do. 
So when my set doesn't go that well, then I'm, I'm not happy with it. I'm, it doesn't ruin my day, but I'm not happy with it because I know how good I can be and I know the reaction my jokes can get. So when they don't get those reaction, then I, you know, I question, you know, what I've done that night. What did I do that night that changed it? You know, I mean, the, the first reaction that I have is, oh, that audience sucked, right? But then, you know, that's our, just our natural reaction, right? But then after that, I have to go, well, that audience came to the club. The audience wanted to laugh. So what did I do wrong that I could have done differently? So what I'll do is I go into a club on a weekend and if I make an order for that week, I try to make a new order every week, even if the order is very similar. I try to make a new order every week and I try to work in some new joke somewhere. And if I do my Thursday show, the first show of the weekend, and I crush, I may not change that set. I may keep it the exact same because I'm like, all right, this is a working formula for this club. But the moment I have a set in that weekend that doesn't work that well, then I change up the order. I go, I'm going to start with something different. And if that doesn't work, I'll start with something else. And then I'll just try to hit them hard. Like um, I did five shows at Rooster Tees and uh, I was doing, I was doing pretty well. I did four shows. I was doing pretty well, but I wasn't doing as good as I wanted to do. And by my fourth show on Saturday, uh, fourth show of the weekend, not on Saturday, second Saturday, I opened with my Home Depot joke that I haven't opened with in a long time, which is like, uh, a suicide joke, basically, because I was like, I need to punch him. I need to hit this audience with something. And I felt like that really helped me. Um, and then by Sunday, my, my set was really good. I had my best show on Sunday. And I think that's because I kept changing and I kept working and I wasn't satisfied. I didn't just rest on my laurels. I don't know if that's what the word is. I didn't just, you know, kick back and go, well, this is just going to be that kind of weekend. I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to win this. All right, so here is the next email. Most of the time, I just whittle the email down to just the question, but sometimes I want to leave stuff in so you know that people are complimenting me. Uh, This person says, I've been a huge fan of yours ever since I ushered for you at the Charleston Comedy Festival a couple of years ago. Thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, They say, "Love, love your work and your how to become a comic on your podcast. It has taught me a lot. Thank you for listening to that, and I... Uh, I'm glad that it helps you. Here's their question. So I've been performing comedy for a little over two years. I find that my best jokes are jokes that I write in letting my mind wander. Whenever I go to sit down and try to write, I find my jokes don't work on stage. Is sitting down and writing something I just have to keep doing and I'll get better? I'm curious if you had any troubles like this starting out. Uh, not only did I have trouble like that starting out, but I still have trouble like that to this day. This is what I like to do. I like to carry a physical notepad. Now, when I don't have it, I will put stuff in my phone, but I like to carry a physical notepad. Uh, that reminds me I have, I want to grab that notepad real quick. One second here. Okay, I'm back. Okay. I like to carry a physical notepad. I just had some notes in there that I wanted to read. All right. And the reason I like a physical notepad is because it is it's it's real, right? And and you have it. And um this is what I say. I'm going to I'm going to come back to this question. I'm going to read from my notepad. 
I'll start with a few things about what I like to do for jokes. I carry a small pocket-sized notebook, uh, look for funny or interesting things, and write it down in that notepad. Uh, The cheaper the notepad, the better. I find that when a notepad is too nice, then I don't want to write ideas that could be bad in it. Right now, I have a Mead notepad, and it costs me less than $2. Don't use your phone. Physically write the idea down. Years from now, you'll look back through the pad and find your jokes and can't believe that you forgot about, and, and you'll bring them back. And if you keep things like I do, you'll end up with lots of memorabilia, uh, and, um, and, and, and so that way, you know, sometimes I go dig through a notebook and I find a joke that I wrote years, years ago and it never worked for me. And I'll go, wow, that was a funny joke. Why did that never work? And I'll bring it back up and suddenly it's working now because I'm a better writer. So this is what I like to do. You write that idea down in the notepad and then you, you try it out. You go on stage and you try it out. You just write it down. You don't write it down word for word. You go like, for instance, you're like, um, and this is a joke that I have. Don't do this. But I have a joke about how everybody looks gross smelling their hands, right? I think everybody looks gross smelling their hands. So what I did was I had that idea and I thought, you know what? I'm funny enough as a person that I can riff a little bit. So I, I have some jokes I'm doing uh, that are getting me laughs. And then so I'm on stage. I'm doing jokes that I know work. I got my laughs, and then I go, boom, let's do the new joke. And I'm like, oh, everybody looks gross smelling their hands, right? And then I just start riffing. I try to come up with as many things as I can. I try to try to make the audience laugh. I try to – because I think that, at least for me, comedy came from a place of a defense mechanism, right? right? I, I felt a little self-conscious uh, about being poor as a kid here and there, and I, I just – I wanted to be funny, and I was always like, oh, I'm going to make a joke here. So on stage – that's that works the same so i feel like i've worked this defense mechanism muscle so much that i can really riff with it so i'll riff with it as much as i can and then from there i try i go and i write those things down and once i write them down on paper sometimes new ideas will come to me and then i'll try those on stage and i may do this i mean i got some notebooks where i flip through and i've like like the two week notice joke that's been the hardest joke for me to write it's still not as funny as I want it to be. I, I, I still can't really get to the audience exactly what I love about a two-week notice and, and see them laugh the way I want them to laugh. I've written that joke down a million times because I'm always trying a new way to, you know, a new way to really get them and to find, find what I'm looking for. Um, so I think that it's a little of both. But to your question um, – Is sitting down and writing something I just have to keep doing and I'll get better? Yes. I mean, I don't write, sit down and write every day like I should, but I I think I found that a lot of times sitting down and writing, you know, I may sit down, like like my Bugle Boy joke, um, which I don't do a lot, I like it, but I, that joke came to me while I was trying to write another joke. I was working on one premise and then I started riffing and then I go, actually, this Bugle Boy thing is better than what I was trying to write. So writing is really good. Be writing. Always be writing. But carry that notepad. I mean, oh man, there's nothing like a notepad. I have so many of them at home and I love flipping through them. I like finding the bad jokes that I can't believe I ever thought that was funny. Um, I said, uh, another note I had is, don't write about what everyone else is writing about. Find something new, fresh, interesting. 
and uh, also don't fall in love with the phrasing of a joke. I mean, I'm guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this. But, um, you know, just, just remember that if it's not funny, you got to change it. All right, here's another question. This person starts off with Mr. Slay, which I enjoy. I appreciate that. Uh, when you think of a new premise, do you go with your gut instinct on a punchline or sit on it for a while? Um, I'm just going to answer that one before I move on. Uh, I, I think that can, I mean, when I think of a new premise, I go on stage, I try it. If that punchline doesn't work, um, I move on to something else. I'll try that. I'll try that punchline for a while. I mean, I won't give it up right away because you never know. You could have faced, you know, two scenarios can happen. You can be in front of a really great audience and you do your punchline and it gets hilarity. And then every other time you do it, it bombs. Or you can do a joke the first time in a place and it bombs and then you try it again and then everywhere else it gets laughs. So, um, you know, I, I like to try it out a few times before I decide to change it or before I you know, get rid of it. Um, one joke in particular is a five o'clock somewhere joke that I have. And, and I don't know if you've seen my stand up live, you've probably seen this joke. Uh, if you haven't seen me live, I, I have a, I do a full breakdown of the song. It's five o'clock somewhere by Alan Jackson. But this joke started off, um, with a, with just one little, I just had one punchline and it was basically like this. I said, I like, the song Five O'Clock Somewhere, because I too, like Alan Jackson, don't want to let my personal responsibilities get in the way of my alcoholism, right? Now, to me, that line is hilarious, but it never was getting a laugh. It never got a laugh. So I was like, all right, we got to do something else. And I called a friend of mine, and I was running my joke ideas by him, and he gave me an idea, and that idea I was able to just run with, and I wrote eight minutes of jokes, off because all it was was he had a different way of looking at it and the moment I saw it that way I was like oh man it's like he opened a door and I ran through it and so that's why it's good to have a friend that you can call me my friend that same friend he doesn't always have good ideas for me but every once in a while he hits on something and I'm like wow that's magic all right I'm gonna finish the email sometimes I find the original punchline works best and other times I think of something on stage that works better. Also, yeah, that'll happen. Also, is there a way to make potentially offensive material more relatable without the audience knowing? Uh, I don't know what you mean by offensive, so that's hard to say. I mean, if your your object is to offend, then no, there's no way to do that. There's no way to be offensive without being offensive. But I like to think that I've I've got a pretty good knack for making something that otherwise wouldn't be clean, relatively clean. I mean, I had jokes that I like to refer to as my lotion jokes off the Son of a Ditch album, uh, available on iTunes, and uh, also it's on Spotify. But I, it's all about basically jerking off, right? But I, my whole premise with that is don't say jerking off and don't say gross stuff. You know, don't talk about the bodily fluid of it. Just talk about, you know, I, I use words like cranking it out, uh, rubbing one out. Rubbing one out's a little gross, but still not as bad as jerk off or masturbate, right? Those are gross words. And I feel like, for me, I like to say that my comedy is relatively clean, right? So I don't want to say that I'm squeaky clean, but I've established a line 
a mental line that I won't cross. And when an audience sees me, I like to think that they know that I'm not going to cross that line. So when I tiptoe up to that line, that's edgy. That's fun. People are like, ooh, he's going there. But then I don't go there. So I think that, that yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're writing a joke and, you know, you got a bunch of cuss words in there and, and you want it to soften it, try to find some alternative words. You know, I had, a, I had a joke a long time ago about eating poop, you know, and, you know, I mean, I could have easily gotten a laugh off saying shit, right? But I didn't want to say that. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't mind cussing in my life. I try to not do it a lot. I just try to be a, uh, uh, you know, just an overall kind of clean person. But I wanted to look for a new word. So I, I, I thought of dookie, Right. And I just thought, man, dookie is such a more funny word. Now, if you abuse it, you can't say dookie a million times. Also, when I'm doing jokes about about weed or something like that, I like to just say drugs because I think drugs is vague and funny. I hope that answers it. All right. Here's the next one. Oh, man, I don't have a ton, but man, I'm not going as fast as I'd like. I've been doing stand up comedy for about 18 months. This is a new email. I've been doing comedy. For about 18 months, I started a little later than most, early 30s, and I started in my late 20s, for the record, and um, I I didn't really start to get good until I was in my early 30s, so I think that's fine. And I felt like I had a strong sense of the type of material I wanted to talk about right off the bat versus throwing a bunch of different styles, subject matter up there and seeing what sticks. I'm a female comic, and my subject matter is very geared towards women's issues, body, dating, insecurities, past relationships, etc. I've done fairly well in my first 18 months, and I'm already working regularly as a host at several local comedy clubs, as well as smaller shows around my state. Oh, jeez. Sorry, something popped up here on my computer. Um... And even have featured a few times. I've got a solid 30 minutes of material at this point. My question is, do you think I'm pigeonholing myself a bit by sticking to sort of narrow subject matter? Is it going to make me less marketable in the long run? Don't get me wrong. Men also enjoy my stand-up a lot. And when I write, I try to make sure my content is relatable to everyone and not just women. I find that the subject matter is naturally what I gravitate towards whenever I write. And as a single woman in her early 30s, dating, women's issues, etc., really are a big part of my daily life. But seeing so many other comics I admire covering a wide breadth of subject matter, I wonder if I should start forcing myself to branch out. Um, and she said, I appreciate you uh, always taking the time to help out the noobs. No problem. Uh, also, great seeing you uh, in Florida. Um, and sorry, I misspelled your name in an autocorrect situation. Um, but uh, I think this is an interesting question because, I mean, if you've only been doing comedy for 18 months and you're hosting regularly at a lot of different comedy clubs, I think that you're doing great. I wouldn't stress out too much about it. Um, I would just continue to do what you're doing, keep working, because someone told me a long time ago, now I don't know how many shows you've done in 18 months, but somebody told me a long time ago, and I think it's true, but they said, you know, like your first 200 shows don't mean dookie, right? They mean nothing. 
The first 200 shows are just getting better. And, and to be honest, I think that that could even go farther, 500 shows. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many shows I did um, before I got to a place where I was really like, wow, I'm getting really good at this. And I'm better now than, I mean, I look at, I was working Funny Bones and Improvs at 2015, and I thought, man, I'm crushing it. I was on Last Comic Standing a little bit. I was in a comedy festival. I was like, man, I am crushing the comedy game out here. And I watch those videos now, and I'm like, oh, gosh, it's hard for me to watch. I can't even understand what I was doing. So I think that you just got to give yourself some time. And, and just, you know, write what you know about. Now, that being said, I mean, a lot of people are going to be doing those kind of uh, of subject matter. You know, they're going to be doing dating jokes. They're going to be doing insecurity jokes and stuff like that. A lot of people are doing it, but that doesn't mean you can't do it in an original way. I mean, you get out there and, you know, it's you. It's your personal perspective. So as long as it's not generic, I think it's going to be fine. And, and, like, there's a comic that I know right now named – uh, Leanne Morgan and Leanne Morgan uh, has been doing comedy for a long time. She's, you know, she's, you know, uh, a bit older than me. I'm not exactly sure how, how old she is. I'm not going to call her an older woman. She's, I mean, she is an older woman. She's a mom. She has grown kids and you know, she's really hitting right now. She's sold out Zanies. I've seen her selling out a bunch of clubs and because she is connecting with women, uh, in a way that I, I see the tweets that go at, at that go directed towards her. People are like, I've never related to anybody quite the way I relate to you. And I think that, you know, sharing your real perspective on the world and, and, and about you is good. People are like you, no matter who you are, there are a group of people out there like you and they want to hear what they're thinking and what they're feeling said on stage. Because when they hear it, they go, Oh, thank goodness. Somebody else feels the way that I feel. All that being said, um, you know, the last two things, you see comics that you admire doing a bunch of stuff. That's one thing that's the hardest sometimes is watching other comics, watching what they're doing, watching what they're getting and, and thinking, well, I should be doing that. And why am I not getting that? I think that's the hardest thing to block out. But I think that's the thing that you have to do. You have to block all of that out. You, when you see a comic and they're doing material that you think you should be doing, well, start writing stuff like that if you want, if you want to. And then if you see a comic that uh, is getting something that you think you should be getting, you just got to block that out because that's just going to eat you up. Because no matter what you get, there's always somebody getting something that you're not getting. And you're like, I don't know why I'm getting that. And they are. And it just makes resentment. But it doesn't hurt to branch out. Also, it doesn't hurt to write a joke that you wouldn't normally write. Just do it. I mean, I had some, I've had some dirty jokes along the way, and uh, I like doing them. And I think it's fun. It gets me out of my comfort zone. It really, it really wakes me up. I mean, and, and each time you write a joke that gets you out of your comfort zone. And when I wrote the first, you know, quote unquote, lotion joke, Oh man, it made me so uncomfortable on stage. But after a while, I was like, oh man, I'm loving this. And then eventually I outgrew it and I was like, I don't want to do jokes like that anymore. So I quit doing it, but it helped me. It made me stronger on stage. I hope that helps. Uh, here's another email. I've been doing comedy for about two years. I have five to 10 minutes of decent material that has worked 
in front of multiple audiences? How do I improve my decent material and turn it into really good material? And how will I know when the material has reached its peak form? Okay, first question, how do I improve my decent material and turn it into really good material? This is what I think. I think um, just saying it over and over again. Now, if it depending on what kind of shows you're doing. If you're just doing local shows, you're not going to be able to just say the same thing over and over again because the chances are you're going to have a lot of the same audience and they're going to get really tired of those jokes. But the more you say them, the better you're going to get at them, especially if you are paying attention to what you say and how you say it. Because if you're like, you know, I have friends that they, 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 their wording will change from show to show. And they'll tell the joke one way on this show, it'll crush. The next show, they'll tell it, it won't crush. And they go, what happened? And I'm like, well, you didn't say it the same way. I mean, what I try to do is I always try to word my joke so that the last word that I say is the punchline. That is the la- – like if you, you know, if you say a joke and then you have four or five more words after that, you're stepping on your laughs. So I try to phrase it so that the last word that I say – like like my two-week notice joke, for instance, I say, uh, you know, during a two-week notice, that's where I get to say my favorite phrase at work, which is, I don't care, I'm about to quit, right? It's not, I'm about to quit, and I don't care about this job. Now, that may work, but to me, it works best the other way, and I'm leaving it at that last part. And then you have to pause. No matter what, when you have to know where you think the punchline is, and then you have to pause, whether they laugh or not. Because you have to know if they're going to laugh. If you pause and they don't laugh, then that wasn't funny to that audience. Um, so you just, you know, it just has to get, you just, if it's not really good, you got to rewrite it. You got to, or you got to add something. It needs some punch. Maybe it needs a little extra. Sometimes I think people, people try to be one-liner comics and all they're doing is going up with the premise. They're like, I think this is funny, and then they tell the joke. They tell the premise that they think is funny, and then no one laughs, and they don't understand why. Uh, I've seen a lot of comics, especially they'll be really smart people, and they go, they'll and they'll deliver a joke in a way, and a few people really get it and laugh, and they go, man, that guy's a genius. But other people don't get it, and they don't laugh, and then they don't go very far. And I think, you know, if you're so smart, don't give me the joke that's going to confuse me. Be smart enough to tell me what you mean, you know, just, you know, explain the joke to me. Now you don't want to explain the joke in the way you do the joke and you go, now the reason this is funny is because of this, this, and this, no, you know, but you explain it in your joke. Like you, you know, and it's like, I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, the only way to turn it into good material is to just, you know, you, you write it differently, whether you write on stage or you write, in your house, I mean, you find different ways. You know, you 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 make it a rule of three where you go, uh, it's like this, and then like this, and then like this. Or you always ask yourself if this is the, if this is true, what else is true? What's similar about it? And then, how will I know when the material has reached its peak form? I don't know if uh, there is a peak form. To be honest with you, I mean, I've told jokes for years that I thought were really funny. And then I would get like, I get like tired of them, but I'm still doing it for some reason. So I'll start improv and stuff. And suddenly the joke becomes even funnier. 
So it's like sometimes I like to do my punchline, get my laugh, and then just try to add on tags just to see what uh, see what's happening. Okay, next email. I saw on Facebook that you were asking newer comics to send you questions. I've been doing comedy for a few years and only in this town for a couple. So still pretty new. My question is, how do you revise your jokes? If something isn't working, when do you change it and why? Well, for me, I change it immediately when it's not working. If it doesn't work, like I said earlier, if, you know, I do it one time and it doesn't work, I'll go, you know what, I'm going to give it another shot, especially if you're only doing open mics, because you could be in an open mic room full of comics. Comics is not your target audience. It's always nice to make the comics laugh, but if you're trying to do comedy professionally, you're going to need to make regular people laugh. People that have been working all day and have paid money to come see your show, you're going to need to make them laugh. That's the only way you're going to make money. In comedy, my experience, there's two ways to make money, and that's to be a professional working comedian or to become famous. That's the only two ways. Now, I don't know how to become famous, but I do know how to become a professional working comedian. So um, if something isn't working, when do you change it and why? I change it immediately, and I change it because it's not working. Now, how do I revise it? You just rewrite. You, sometimes you got to sit down with a pen and paper and go, what is not working? Sometimes just writing the joke out in the form that you told it. You go, this is how I told it last night. Let me just write this out word for word. I, th- I find writing is better than typing, even though typing is easier. I find that writing is better and... Um, and it just, ah, new things can come to life. I can't explain it. Um, uh, and here, here's, here's the next part of that email. If that needs clarification, I mean, say you've been doing a new bit or tag and it's not getting the reaction you want. When do you think, okay, that's the fourth time I've done that tag and it didn't get a laugh. Maybe I should drop it, change my inflection, emphasize the lead in more, et cetera. Uh, is it an intentional thought like that or do you sort of just do that naturally or not at all? I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's not working after a few times, uh, I don't think drop it. I think, uh, and maybe not even the inflection, just depending on what you're doing, right? Like I've seen some comics, they'll have like really snarky jokes and then they say it in a way like, I don't know, that they're almost talking down to the audience. And if that happens, you know, maybe you need to change the inflection because I think the my attitude, at least towards comedy, should never be to talk down to the audience, you know? So if your inflection is like, yeah, what's up with all these idiots? And then you're describing something that potentially the audience is doing. Um, like, for instance, when I was doing restaurant jokes in Charleston, South Carolina – I could do, I had five or 10 minutes of restaurant jokes that would just crush because Charleston is such a restaurant town that so many people that worked at restaurants were coming to my shows and they loved everything I had to say about restaurants. But then I started working the road and now I'm doing these jokes for the people that are in the restaurants eating. And they're like, well, I don't get that. I do that all the time, buddy. I don't know why you think that's funny. You know what I mean? And it's like, so so maybe, you know, you'll have to change, you know, your inflection and, and, and try to tell it from their perspective. Like, I think the idea is that on stage, you want to, at least this is my approach, 
is you want to be the person that's in the audience. You're like, I'm in, I'm basically, I'm basically an audience member, but I'm up here telling things that you relate to and things that you know about. And that's my approach to where people in the audience could go, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, that's some BS right there, you know. And oftentimes you just need to work on um, what that punchline is and maybe your setup. Maybe your setup is not good enough uh, to, um, to really let the punchline hit, if that makes sense. And it's definitely intentional. Everything that I do on stage is intentional. Um, except for maybe touch my glasses and rub my nose. Um, And then this last part says, I have a process, but I'm really interested in hearing how other comics do this, especially ones that tour and get get to work out in different markets. Yeah, I mean, it changes all the time. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm I'm in Chattanooga this week. Last week, I was in California. And believe me, uh, I got jokes that work everywhere. And I got some jokes that work good in California, some jokes that work good in Tennessee. But I don't pander and I don't and I don't uh, try to cater to an audience. Um, I want my jokes to work well everywhere. I hope that helps. Uh, next email. All right, we're get, we're really over an hour here, but I'm almost done. I think I have uh, I have four or five more emails, but this will this will go quick. I really enjoy your podcast and really got into the episode where you, oh, thank you. I really got into the episodes where you talk about starting out as a comedian. The thing I'm constantly struggling with when it comes to writing jokes is how to initially begin the process. I've looked up videos on YouTube and I have gotten to pick uh, gotten to the pick a concept and think your think of funny parts of it, but I'm not sure where to go exactly from there. I know it doesn't need to be a script, but how concrete does a joke have to be before you try it out? Also, with story-like style jokes, with punchlines peppered into it, how do I go about writing them exactly? Sorry for not being more specific, but I'm just starting out, and it's a bit of a struggle. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Well, uh, it's tough to say how to go about writing exactly. Uh, That's always a tough question. Um, But when I first started comedy, my jokes were written out word for word. I memorized them. I went on stage and I said, I'm doing this because that gave me the confidence. I may not have had confidence on stage, but I always had confidence in my jokes. So I, I would write the joke down. I would memorize the joke and then I would say the joke out loud constantly to myself, I would walk to the gig or drive to the gig, however I got there, and I would say them out loud to myself. And then I would, uh, and, I, and, and in doing that, I would be working on my delivery and I would discover what was funny. I think sometimes if you write a joke down and just say it out loud to yourself one or two times, you can tell right away whether that joke's gonna be funny or not. Like, like you may not know that it's gonna be funny, but you can know that it's not going to be funny. Like sometimes I write something down and I feel like it's got such a great flow and then I say it out loud and I go, oh, that's got no flow at all. So I would say write down, if, if you're really nervous about getting up and trying it out, write it down exactly how you want to tell it, memorize it, say it out loud before you ever go to the club. Um, and then story style jokes. Now I think this is different for everyone because some people are natural storytellers. But for me, what helps is being able to break that story down into individual parts to where I don't have to tell the whole story. And also you don't have to, the whole story doesn't have to be factual. 
and you don't need every detail. I mean, I'm working on a joke right now where I've taken out so many details out of the story that it's almost down to bare bones. Um, and that's the funniest way, but it's gotten me. But in telling that story on stage, I've discovered new parts of the jokes. So I've, I've gotten, you know, I'm talking about going into a Napa auto parts and talking to a girl about oil, but leading up to that, I've, thought of other things. I got an oil change joke that wasn't even a part of the story, but because it's an idea that I've had in the past and have written down in a notepad, I'm able to come back to it and now include it in this story. So that's why it's important to me to never throw away joke ideas. Even if they don't work right now, they may fall into a story that you have later. Um, So I don't know if that's helpful, but it's like it's hard to say exactly how to do it because it's all about how, how you do it. But just write some jokes down. Basically, just know what you want to say and know what you want to be funny. I mean, if your joke ends with uh, you had to be there, then it's not complete. Um, but also, nobody's writing you off if you go to an open mic. This is what I say. This is why I gave the advice on the other podcast that I have is um, be nice to people because nobody's writing you off because you had a bad set. Nobody's done with you at the open mic because your story didn't go well. In fact, if you bomb and then they see you at the next open mic or they see you next week back at that open mic, I think everybody in that room has more respect for you. Uh, Open mics are a bit like an AA meeting. I was always told uh, before I quit drinking, a guy was talking to me about going to an AA meeting. And he said, if you go, he said, talk. He said, do get up, do tell your story because everyone in that room will respect you and shake your hand after if you tell your story. That's what I think about an open mic. Just getting up there and doing it, sharing in that experience. Don't run and hide. Believe me, if you go to an open mic, no matter how good people are in there, everybody in that room has bombed once before. All right, next next email. I have been doing stand-up for almost a year. I did 138 shows last year. Uh, I want to say congrats to you for knowing how many shows you did. I love that. I mean, I get a little sentimental with comedy, and I've I put a I put a favorite. I use Google Maps to get to every show that I, I go to, and I put a, a, a I favorited every club I've done since two thousand late two thousand fourteen, and my Google Maps when I zoom out on it, I just see stars all over the country, and I love it because, I mean, there are so many clubs here. I just love that you've kept up with how many shows you've done. That's amazing. I did 138 shows last year, so I really got into it. Here are my questions. I love misdirection jokes, but I find that they are hard to write. Any tips on writing these types of jokes? I also find misdirection hard to write. I've, you know, and I, and, and I hate that I won't have better advice with this, but I find them hard to write too. That's why I've kind of leaned more into a story form of jokes. I feel like I have very few misdirectional jokes. I could be wrong. Maybe I don't give myself enough credit. But I mean, uh, my, my best example is a joke that I have about the Olive Garden. I say, uh, you know, I, um, when you hang out with a lot of broke people like I do all the time, everything's always fancy to them. Like the other day I was hanging out with my mom, which is an underappreciated part of that joke. I said, the other day I was hanging out with my mom and – she was like, oh, this is so fancy. And I was like, mom, it's Olive Garden. Of course it's fancy, right? So that's the misdirection. Of course it's fancy, right? Because 
everybody's made an Olive Garden joke, being famous, uh, fancy. So when I make that joke, I feel like the audience almost groans. They're like, oh, geez, cheesy Olive Garden joke. But then when I go, of course it's fancy, gets a great laugh. I don't have a lot of them, but I just think, you know, just try to think about that. Think about, you know, if you if you make a comment about a place, you know, think about what that place is not. Uh, or, th- you know, and just, just write that. I mean, I don't know that I can be helped there and I, and I'm, and I apologize, but I would say just maybe listen to more comics that write misdirection jokes and just see what they're doing and just try to get a feel for it. Really immerse yourself in that. Uh, and, uh, second part is I am a clean comedian and a Christian, but I do not see myself as a Christian comedian. I know that the Christian comedian market can be worth pursuing, should I write Christian or church jokes? Uh, I think that you should write every kind of joke. I mean, if you want to start doing churches and stuff, by all means, write some church jokes. Um, I don't know what you mean necessarily about church jokes. I mean, I wouldn't go bashing the Bible. Uh, I wouldn't pick out stories of the Bible and make fun of them. I don't. I don't. I don't care for that. But. Um, and I also don't think you have to label yourself a Christian comic. There's no reason to ever pigeonhole yourself. Um, and I, I do think it's a great market. I think you can make a lot of money in that market, and I think there's a lot of uh, Christian people that that appreciate comedy, but they don't necessarily want to go out and see a bunch of dirty comedy at a club. So, you know, there is definitely a market for that. But I don't think you have to necessarily go down that road out of necessity or whatever. You know, try to do a little bit of both. Do some clubs. Do some thing. Just you know, just write clean jokes. Write the kind of jokes that would be acceptable in there. I mean, I I heard a story about a guy who's like a pastor, but then he he got kicked. He got he got a show shut down that he was doing at a church because he was too dirty. And it's like there's just no need for it. Um, I don't think that you have to be any kind of you know. Uh, I don't think you have to be a Christian comic, but there is a market for it. And I think if John Christ uh, showed. Uh, anything with this comedy is that there's a huge market for Christian comedy and he had an amazing career. Uh, I mean, John Chris had such an amazing career that if he never decides to do comedy again, I think that would be very sad and I would hate to see that. But if he never does comedy again, I bet he never has to make any more money. And I think that's amazing. Okay. Next question. This is a very general question, but you probably have a lot of opinions on the subject, and I'd love to hear them. What advice would you give to people who run comedy festivals now that you've done quite a few or anyone who's thinking of putting a new one together? You know, I may answer this question later because I think I'm so – I'm at an hour 15. Uh, I didn't mean to go this long. I didn't know this would take this long. I've had a blast doing this. Um but I will say a couple of things. I think that if you can get industry people there, now, depending on where you're at, industry may, may mean, you know, maybe you get uh, local radio, local news. Maybe you get um, bookers from the area. Like, let's say, let's say you're in Tennessee, right? You're doing a comedy festival in Tennessee. I would try to get a booker from Zanies. I would try to get a booker from the Comedy Catch in Chattanooga. I would try to get somebody that books shows in Knoxville, somebody that books shows in Kentucky, and I would try to bring them to the festival so that you know that's a selling point for getting comics to come and do your festival to say, "Hey, come to my festival. I'm going to have, you know, bookers that book 
uh, comedy clubs. And if they like you, they could potentially book you at their clubs. And that way it's a real incentive to get people there. And then the the second thing, and, and probably the most important thing, is making sure that you sell out those clubs. Whatever venues you book for the festival, make sure those clubs are packed and make it the most fun for comics that come. Try to provide them with some free drinks, with some free food. Maybe not the whole trip, but each night, try to do a thing where there's some free drinks, some free food. Try to find a way to get them really cheap hotels. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's the type of thing I don't know a lot about, but I know that that's the best. When you go to a festival and they're like, all right, our sponsor is the Hilton. So everybody can get a, a room for $50 a night at the Hilton. And then another sponsor is Budweiser. So if you come to the after party, Budweiser's are free or a dollar a piece or something like that. That way, the comics are able to come. It doesn't cost them a ton. They get some exposure to some bookers, and uh, they get to do fun shows. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people doing festivals are just hungry to do good comedy shows. So if you can just provide good comedy shows, people are going to they're gonna really appreciate your festival. Uh, uh, two more emails. This is the next one. I'm loving your hustle and how you document it. Thank you. I have a question about... Uh, that, but we'll stick to comedy writing since that's what the theme of this is. How many times will you try a joke before killing it? Uh, that depends on how much I love the joke. I did a joke about checking your credit score for well over a year just because I liked the callback that it brought in another joke. Um, but eventually I killed it because I'm like, I never can make this good. This is just not a premise people care about anymore. People don't care about checking their credit score jokes. Um, So I think that varies from time to time. But I think you got to ask yourself, if you've done a joke 10 times or if you've done it in two or three different areas of the country and it's not gotten you a laugh, you don't have to kill it. You either got to rewrite it or you just write it down in that notebook and you come back to that uh, in a year or so when you're a better writer. That's what I think. I mean, if you're working hard... You're not going to be, you're not, if you're working hard, you're not the best at writing jokes than you'll be in a year. In a year, you'll be better at writing jokes. So come back to that premise in a year and go, can I make it funny now? Um, And that's what I would say. But if you want me to put a number on it, I would say if you've done it in three different cities and you've done it at least 10 times and it doesn't get you a laugh, let it go or rewrite it. Last email. Relatively new fan, but lifelong lover of comedy. Well, welcome aboard the sleigh train. Uh, I've never said that before, but I do enjoy it. Uh, I've started my own podcast. Everyone has, I know. What do you feel you needed to do to stand out with yours? What successes have you found? What downfalls? And then he says, I'll be here waiting. We're having a good time. Well, Um, if you're listening to this podcast, then you'll know that one of the things I feel like I needed to do to stand out was to help comics write jokes. Now, I don't know that I've really done all that much to make my podcast stand out, and I don't know what kind of successes I've had or downfalls. I don't know that my podcast has been particularly successful, but I also don't know, I don't believe that it's been uh, unsuccessful. I have decided that with my YouTube videos, 
with my Instagram, with my podcast, that I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do the type of thing that I want to do. What I like doing, I like talking about comedy. I like helping people with comedy. I like doing comedy. I like creating videos where I travel around the country playing sad music of me walking through uh, cities. I mean, I love it. That's what I like to do. And you know what? Uh, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. And everybody doesn't have to love everything that I do. Some people love my travel videos. Some people tell me all the time, your videos are too long, dude. Make them shorter. You know what? You're probably right. They probably are too long. And probably more people would watch them if they were less long. But uh, I like them. And I'm going to keep doing them that way. I like the podcast that I'm doing. I'm going to keep doing it that way. And and I would rather have a m- mediocre, successful podcast that I enjoy doing than a highly successful podcast that I hated. I don't know if that makes sense to people, but I used to sell pesticides as a job for 10 years. I sold to Lowe's and Home Depot, and I love what I'm doing right now. Now, I didn't always hate that job, and I got a lot of friends that still do that job, so I always like to say that because I don't, I don't want to trash them. It's a good job, but I love what I'm doing. And I'm just going to do it my way as long as I do have some success. <laughs> I, do, I guess I do need to add that caveat in. Uh, I think it's fine to do it your way and do exactly what you want to do as long as you're happy with the success it brings. I think that's the way to say it because I know people that are like they, – they're really good at comedy, but they um, – they're really good at comedy, but they won't conform in any kind of way. They're like, oh, no, I'm a rebel. I do it this way. I don't care what the audience thinks. And they have zero success. They're still working at a bar, uh, you know, after years. And they're so funny. They could uh, move on and move out. I mean, I know a guy I used to do comedy with. He's so hilarious. And one time I asked him to go to a club with me and try to, I was like, let's drive to this club and, you know, try to do comedy and try to get in at that club. And he goes, oh, man, they're just going to, they're just gonna you're just gonna do the comedy. They're gonna go. Oh, we really like that. Why don't you come back next week and let's see what you look like then? And then we'll talk about a booking. And and he was like, I just I don't have time for that. And now he doesn't even do comedy at all. And I'm just like, man, like, uh, you know, you can be a rebel, but make sure that you're happy with the success that you get. Okay, I hope this has been helpful. Please send more of these. Dusty Slay Comedy at Gmail dot com. And I would love to do this. Send any kind of questions that you have. Maybe that's what I'll just start doing is just answering questions. If you like this, email me if you listen to the podcast and you really liked it. Email if you didn't like it. Uh, I don't care about ratings or reviews. I used to want people to do that, but I don't even care anymore. I just want to know that the people that are listening uh, are having a good time. And um, and I got a few few emails from people in, in Tampa and Nashville and um, Atlanta and, and, and various places. And I just want to say thank you guys. Uh, shout out to the people in Tampa though, in particular, because I f- people keep telling me how much the comics in Tampa really like me. And, uh, I just want to say, I appreciate that. Uh, means a lot to know that you guys listen and that, uh, cause I love coming there. I mean, I had such a blast. I mean, I do three shows on a Saturday when I do Tampa, that is exhausting, but I love it. And uh, all right, thank you very much. We're having a good time.